0: Welcome to the Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships, and life less stressful. I'm Jordan Friedman. Who doesn't love aha moments, sudden insights or revelations that trigger a positive change in the way we think and live? And who doesn't love to learn? Why, it's the number one reason that people listen to podcasts. I'm very proud to say that The Chill Factory's conveyor belts are filled with ahas and learning, thanks to all of our great guests. And it's why we bring you the best of The Chill Factory Volume 2, a collection of clips from past episodes that have sparked some of those same shifts for many listeners. And without exception, every episode of The Chill Factory produces more than just one aha or educational moment. The good news is you can enjoy them in full for the first time, or again, To get a little refill on your chill. Let's start with Smarter Stress Reduction. That's what we called episodes 28 and 29, because I talked with Brian Luke Seward, one of the world's foremost experts in stress management, and my old friend and fellow classmate when we started down this stress reduction road. Over the two episodes, Luke and I talked about lots of different ways to be smarter about stress and therefore health, including the role of tech in our lives. In part one, I asked Luke to name the most common question he gets from his audiences and students.
1: I, I don't know as if I have one question that comes up all the time. Um, it, it's, if, it, if there's a topic, probably, and that is, uh, how to find balance? How to how to um, you know, whether it's self care or whether it's work life balance? It's it's um, really about I guess how to find balance and and I you know I come back to healthy boundaries because we have to have the ability to say uh, enough or no not right now I need some time to unplug and and it's okay to do that I think we need to have permission and, and realize we we always have that permission to to set some Some new boundaries, have some new goals, and then to work toward making them happen. So I I think that technology is definitely a uh, potential problem with a lot of people because they feel as if it's, I think that the term is the electronic leisure collar. Um, They're always tied to it. At some level, Jordan, this is basically a freedom versus responsibility. Uh, aspect to talk about. We've got the freedom to use this technology, you know, 24 hours a day. We can we can click and know anything within you know a few seconds. It's amazing. It's it's wonderful. We can we can stream <laughs> and binge watch you know all episodes of this is this is us or or the Game of Thrones or whatever new shows on these days. Um, but it, the question is, should we? And the answer is, eh, <laughs> probably not all the time. We need to have some healthy boundaries. And and again, I want to come back and say that technology is not bad. We couldn't do this podcast without technology. Uh, but we need to have some healthy boundaries with it, because otherwise we give our power away, and that leads to victimization and to more stress as opposed to trying to walk in balance.
0: One of my philosophies is that everyone can and should be a chill leader for others. This is especially true for heads of companies, directors of organizations, politicians, teachers, etc., Ora Stoll is a New York City-based executive coach who's been working with leaders for 30 years. So she was the perfect guest for this episode called Leaders Should Chill. I asked her what steps someone could take to be a chill leader.
2: So first, start with yourself. Ask yourself these four questions. Number one, what are my non-negotiables that will help me reduce my stress and be more present more chill for some people that's exercise in the morning or meditation for other people that's just having breaks between meetings having time for lunch or having that opportunity to be home with family for dinner question number two is what are my activity priorities and what goal do i have that i'm not accomplishing Uh, For some leaders, they're so busy in the day-to-day tactical problem-solving that they're not making time to plan strategically for what's next. Question number three is, what's getting in the way? What workplace challenges are getting in my way? If they're getting in your way, they're likely getting in other people's way as well. And question number four is, all right, which of these things do I have control over and which don't I? Typically, we all have more control than we think. Now, once you ask yourself these four questions, they're perfect questions to ask your team members. So what's gonna help you feel more chill, less stressed? Number one, what are your priorities? What are you upset that you're not accomplishing? Uh, What's getting in the way of you doing what you wanna do? And where do you have control over managing these things? Where can I help you? Where can the team change some of their habits so it works for you? So that's what I think is super chill leadership. Why? Because it focuses on yourself as a leader, but it also focuses on others, on the people that you lead. These questions help you get your oxygen and they also help you help others get their oxygen.
0: What's your story? That's the title of episode 16 because everybody has a story, many stories. And there's a company called Narrative founded by Mary Nossel that helps people identify and tell their stories for all sorts of reasons, from better interviewing to career advancement to advocating for a cause. Jerome DeRoy now runs Narrative and I asked him about one aspect of storytelling in particular. How do our stories support our health and, you know, to broaden that our, our confidence, our moods, uh, things that we carry around with us in our, in our heads all the time.
3: At the very beginning, the way that narrative really started, it wasn't even a company yet. It was just an idea when Murray was working with people who had HIV and AIDS uh, back in the mid 1990s and this was before the drugs that exist today existed. And so people were dying and it was an epidemic and uh, and there was a lot of fear and and a lot of death everywhere and young people were affected by this. And so one of the things that Murray realized when he was working as a social worker in New York, he worked with a group of people with HIV and AIDS. and um, one of the things that really helped them was telling their story and being witnessed in telling their story because many of them had never really had an opportunity to be heard in that way where they could just tell the story of their life and what happened to them. And it was very therapeutic in the sense that now they felt like they had a voice and it went from having a voice to then using that voice because then they actually became advocates for better treatment, better care for people with AIDS, and their advocacy was very successful uh, based on the fact that they were using personal stories. So I think there's something that happens in the human mind when we hear somebody else's story. It helps us to understand that person, and then it helps us to connect our own experiences to that person. You know, and so it's like you can be completely different people from very different backgrounds, different race, different ethnicity, different country, even different language. But once you hear something of themselves in a story, then you're able to go back into your own experience and say, oh, something similar happened to me. Let me tell you about it. And that feels really good because now you're in a moment of connection. And the aim, I think, of storytelling and certainly you know, even if I work in businesses, especially if I work in businesses actually, it's really about connection and it's about connecting people. And once you feel connected to someone else's needs, wants, desires, longings, and you're able to see yourself there, I think it, it really has a huge um, healing benefit.
0: Jerome outlines the steps, the process for identifying and telling your story in episode 16. So check out What's Your Story? Episode 30 is called, Am I Really Good Enough? And as you might glean from the title, I talk with author and speaker Denise Jacobs about quieting our inner critics, those voices in our heads that tell us we just don't have what it takes to make stuff happen. Now, two important and juicy components of inner criticism are imposter syndrome and the eye-opening imposter syndrome paradox. Here's Denise on both of these topics.
4: Before I actually talk about the imposter syndrome paradox, the thing that I came across a couple of years ago um, in the midst of the pandemic, I came across some really powerful tweets that I think may also help anybody who is struggling with imposter syndrome. And that is, and again, particularly if you're in a disenfranchised group, so if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, however you show up, that there is going to be a really good chance that you have imposter syndrome, and there's a really good chance that you have imposter syndrome because people treated you like an imposter your entire career. Mm. And as a black woman, I can tell you that that is absolutely true. People's low expectations, people expecting you to fail, people expecting you to be substandard can trick you into thinking, oh, I am those things, instead of being like, wait a minute, this is just, this is somebody else projecting on me. This was not, this isn't me. The quote was, maybe you're not an imposter. Maybe you've been treated like one your entire career. And I just want people to take that in and potentially look at that and say, oh, snap, that. Actually, has been my whole career. Number one, number two, the imposter syndrome paradox. You can pair that, or you can, you know, take that and like up the ante with the imposter syndrome paradox, which is you only feel imposter syndrome when you're competent and skilled. In other words, imposters don't get imposter syndrome. It's only the people who are competent and skilled who experience imposter syndrome, and. I have to tell you that that particular truism has gotten me through so many different situations. As soon as I start feeling that like, oh my God, I, can I, can I, should I, I can't believe, oh my gosh. Then I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. The only reason I'm feeling like this is because I'm awesome sauce and they wouldn't have come to me and asked me to do this if this wasn't something that I'm really already good at and I'm competent and skilled at. And I'm telling you, anytime you have that moment, take that imposter syndrome paradox and flip it onto yourself and see see how that helps change how you feel and how you perceive the
0: situation. Being silent is the subject of episode 19, Silent for a Month. That's exactly what my guest Ty Bendit had recently done at a retreat center in California. He had done many shorter silent retreats, as have others, for stress reduction, re-energizing, spiritual healing, or just to experience this thing that seems to be vanishing from all of our lives, silence. I asked Ty how he would talk with someone who was interested in being silent, but who was also resistant to it for some reason. His answer ended up applying to so many things in life.
5: It is a hard thing when in daily life we are used to being constantly stimulated, right? Through phones, through um, technology and emails, through people around us, in our environment, through the news, Um, it's really unusual to even sit down for 30 minutes, right, and do nothing. Um, that can be hard, and, and, and then you, know, you try to extend that to, to sitting and walking in silence all day for five days. It's like, it's, not, it's so hard. Um, or just the same way that you wouldn't you know, wake up one day and run a marathon. You know, first you go out and, and you, know, you run a mile, and then you know, the next week you do two miles a day or whatever it is. I, I think it's very similar. Um, and so really like b- building up through the practices that are working to you and, until you feel ready to go on that longer retreat. so so that would be what I encourage people who are interested in this is, um, you know, you don't need to dive in, just, you know, dip a toe in first and there's tons of apps and resources out there so you can find like, you know, what's a, a little bit beyond my comfort level so that I'm training, but not way beyond my comfort level that I'm freaking out.
0: I think it's also important to say that we can be quiet for 30 seconds. Uh, in a deliberate way or, you know, for a minute or five minutes in our daily lives, sitting at our desks or riding on the subway or walking down the street, um, that, that if someone is interested in the idea of silence or mindfulness or a meditative state, you don't have to go to a retreat. You don't have to go to a school. You don't have to take a course. You can just sit with yourself without distractions, without technology and either do that every day for the rest of your life or build up, as you just said, to uh, something more formal or different. And last, but definitely not least, I spoke with Ukrainian rock singer Dmitry Afanasyev from his home near Kyiv. It was about two and a half months after Russia began its latest invasion of Ukraine. The episode's called Rock and Resilience because it's a real-time study in ways to deal with circumstances completely unimaginable to most of us. Yet, the episode has lessons for all of us. Shortly after the war began, Dmitri said goodbye to his wife and young daughter who went to live in a safe European country. He and his dog Jim then drove around Ukraine collecting and delivering food and other supplies to those in need, including an orphanage in the northern part of the country. Our conversation took place just days after three Russian rockets landed close to his home. Another way that you have been helping people not only in Ukraine, but elsewhere, is through your music, through your art. Yeah. And one of the recent videos that you did is a cover of Creedence Clearwater Revival's Who Will Stop the Rain, which I know a lot of Americans and, and people elsewhere in the world know. And you said at the beginning of the video that you chose to do this cover because you felt the lyrics spoke to what's going on today in Ukraine. Can you talk about that a little more?
6: Yeah, it's my favorite song of CCR. Uh, first time I heard this in Donetsk, my father um, bought me um, the vinyl with that song. and And to be honest, I... I never recorded covers, but never... Sorry, ah, it's a noise on the street, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I never recorded, but I decided to do this because it's like you said, because of these lyrics. CCR song that describes the life of people in Ukraine.
0: From where you sit, near Kyiv,
6: is there anything we can do for you? For me, is to have the opportunity to spread my word. I think it's necessary to avoid similar mistakes in other countries and tell the truth. The truth that war is the worst thing on our planet since... Uh, Since hurricanes, for example, floods, earthquakes or, I don't know, meteorites are natural. And war is artificially created by the human brain for the sake of, I don't know, personal interest or something like that. So, I'm a musician and I have to spread my word in the name of love, in the name of peace and in the name of our planet.
7: war in Ukraine.
0: It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thank you so much for listening. We're going on summer break, and we'll be back in September with new episodes. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when we return. And you can always find all episodes and more resources at thechillfactory.net. And as French author Jules Reynard said, laziness is nothing more than the habit of resting before you get tired.